0: Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 14. So this morning we're bringing the series on the church to a close, and um, I couldn't think of a more appropriate place to end this series than with Paul's amazing prayer at the end of chapter 3. It's no accident that this prayer really connects the first three chapters, wherein Paul gives the indicatives, the declarations of what God has done. First three chapters of Ephesians are not telling you to do something. It's telling us what God has done. And in the last three chapters, beginning in chapter four, tell us the indicative, or the imperatives, what we are to do to live the Christian life because of what God has done. And so what a beautiful connecting point that this prayer is. So I'm reading this morning from the New King James Version, and I want to just read uh, verses 14 through 19 to begin with, and then we're going to pray. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Lord, I pray for your spirit to bring these unspeakably beautiful words to our hearts. That they would be real to us this morning. They are real. Let our hearts know they're real. Let us be Overwhelmed with the power and the beauty and the expansiveness of this prayer and the reality it speaks to our hearts through Christ. That we may be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. We ask this Lord in Jesus name. Amen. I was listening to an interview this week by the late Tim Keller, author and pastor of Redeemer Church in Manhattan, and in it he made the observation that there is a strong emphasis today on identity, identity, especially among young people. Identity is a big thing. There's a lot of focus on identity, a lot of talk about identity, a lot of importance and priority put on Being who you are. But as I look at the culture and and the focus on identity, I think we all can see that being who you are isn't as simple as it sounds. The focus on identity has not necessarily led to a secure and deeper sense of identity. In fact, I think many struggle today And there's confusion and there's insecurity about identity. We are told we can change our identity if we want to. But if identity is who we are, if identity is who we be at our core, then shifting identities feels more like acting than it does like being. Identity becomes, he said, performative. Am am I okay? Am I okay? And if I'm not okay, how about this? I'll try something else. I'll be someone else. Performative. The more we turn identity into the outer image we present to the outside world, the more we wonder, does anybody really know who I actually am? And would they love me and accept me if they did? And and I got to say, making it all the more tricky to navigate this whole identity thing is that with all the talk about inclusivity and acceptance and tolerance, it has never been easier to blow someone's identity up than it is today. With just one wrong post, you can devastate somebody's reputation. One wrong thing going viral can devastate somebody's identity. Tim Keller made the point that the gospel has the best message for those seeking their identity because, and this is what he said, Christianity gives you the only identity that is received and not achieved. Isn't that good. The only identity that is received, not achieved. Jesus left glory to come to earth, to live and to die and give his life for us on the cross. And when we believe in him, our sin, which is the thing that breaks us from the relationship with God, is taken care of. And when we believe in Jesus, we can know that God loves us unconditionally. The one condition that blocked that love was our sin. And Jesus took it upon himself. Out of love, by the way. And Jesus gives us his righteousness And we can know that God loves us. God loves you as much today as he will a billion years from now when you are perfected in holiness. He will not love you more then than he does today. That's who you are in Christ. Loved by God prayer, Paul prays a prayer in Ephesians 3 that goes to the identity of the believer and the identity of the church. Because the church isn't a building, it's the people of God. And he opens verse 14, as we just read, for this reason. What that that means is what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. And what did he just say? Well, we're not going to cover it all, but in verse 8, he says this, he identifies himself as the least of all believers. I am the least of all saints. That's identity. I am the least of all saints. And he's, this is not false humility. He's not trying to be falsely humble. He tried to destroy the church. He imprisoned and executed believers. I am the least of all saints. But that's not all His identity, because he goes on to say, God has given grace to me. God has imparted a specific grace to my life, as he says in 1 Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in God's economy, the lower we go, the more he can exalt us. The opposite is true too. The higher we try to take ourselves, the more God says, I'm going to humble you. Paul humbles himself, genuinely saying, I am the lowest. But God, in his economy, raised Paul up by grace, not because of something Paul did, to a highly exalted position by entrusting to him apostleship to the Gentiles and entrusting to him the mystery that the gospel of Christ isn't just for the Jews, but through Christ, God is reaching out to the whole world, Jew and Gentile, to bring them into the family of God. For that reason... Because God's love and his grace is expressed in a gospel that isn't limited to the Jews but is for all the world. For that reason, Paul bows his knee in prayer to the Father from whom every family or patria, fatherhood, or all fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. God the Father is the perfect version of what all earthly fathers should be. He is the origin. He is the source. He is the father. The family he calls us into is to reflect him. Good families and loving fathers reflect God's fatherly qualities. Broken families and bad fathers distort God's perfect fatherly qualities and so then Paul prays for three things first he prays that we might be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in our inner man or inner person the inner person is who we really are it's who we really are the part of us that is unseen it's our identity. It's, it's who we really are in our core. And by nature, our inner man or inner person, I don't want to offend the ladies. Listen, ladies. If some of us guys are called the bride of Christ, you can have an inner man. All right? <laughs> Our inner person is weak and needs to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that we might contain and we might carry the treasure of Christ in our hearts. Think of it this way. If someone took a gold bar and put it in a wet paper bag, as soon as you lifted the bag, the container wouldn't hold the treasure. That's our our inner man. That's our inner person. We don't have the strength. So he's praying, Holy Spirit, strengthen the inner person so that they might carry and contain this beautiful treasure of Christ. His love is so weighty that we in ourselves are not able to contain it. We need to be strengthened on the inside. And that's the first thing Paul prays for. The second thing he prays is that Christ might live in our hearts through faith so that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, when anyone asks Jesus to be their Savior, he comes and lives in our hearts right away through the Holy Spirit. And and that's not something that changes from day to day. So Paul is not saying, boy, I hope that Christ will live in your heart. What he's saying is, that the person of the Spirit might help us to know that reality. See, sin in, in the world clogs our hearts up so much. You know what I mean? It clogs our hearts up so much that daily we need a fresh faith to experience and to know as real the love of Christ in our hearts. The love is there. Christ is in our hearts. The reality of it is there. But I but I I am sure there are people here who are glowing with the reality and there are people here who are really struggling with that reality. And Paul says may the spirit of God give you faith to unclog your heart to experience and to be rooted and to be established like a tree in the love of Christ. But Paul's not done. In verse 18 he goes on. And this is kind of the pinnacle of this prayer, I believe. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There is so much in this prayer that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints. So this is a group prayer that we together help us to comprehend this, to experience this love, to understand the vastness and the width, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. One of the key reasons why, I think, there's a lot of insecurity at times about identity and a lack of rootedness in identity is the fear of losing the love and acceptance of those around us. We may not talk that way, we may not think that way, but... But don't we all have some element of, of monitoring? How, is, how am I coming off? How is this person feeling about me? How is this person responding to me? Do they accept me? Do they love me? And we can fear losing someone's love or acceptance, even on a day-to-day basis. If you were brought up, and I hope you weren't, but if you were brought up in a family where your performance was constantly weighed to to measure how much acceptance you're going to get, you know what I'm talking about, like you had to perform to be Accepted and celebrated, and if you didn't perform well, you were not accepted, you were rejected, and so every day was a performance, or maybe you just gave up and stopped. Or maybe you're living your life in the same treadmill of performance and you don't even stop to think about it. But at work, you're constantly thinking, did I say the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Do they like me? Is that humor acceptable? Was that statement acceptable? Was that part of my heart acceptable that I shared? Maybe I better pull it back and change. And we become chameleons reading the room in order to not lose even strangers acceptance i think that i think that goes on to some degree in almost everybody to varying degrees but this creates a pressure to create an identity that conforms to people's expectations. So instead of being who we are at our core, that's our identity, we act in a way that we think will be acceptable, but then that leaves us feeling unknown. I am somebody different when I am in home at home alone than I'm in a group. I'm not saying that of myself. I'm saying that that's what we become. And that can be a lonely place. Loneliness doesn't come from being alone. Sometimes it comes from not being real. Nobody knows who you really are. And then we begin to crave approval and fear disapproval. And there's this whole whole cycle that goes on because our identity is performative. But at the root of that is because we feel like The pool of people's love and acceptance for us is one we could easily step out of. It's small. Their love for me is small. Their pool of acceptance for me is small. And if I take the wrong step here, it's gone. I've stepped out of it. Legalism, by the way, is doing this with God. It's bringing that same performative approach to God. God loves me on a good day. He can't stand me on a bad day. And the pool of God's love is something I'm always trying to stay in. I'm trying to stay in his love. I didn't read the Bible today. Maybe he doesn't love me today. I didn't pray today. I sinned. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I stepped out of his pool. And to answer all that, Paul says, with Jesus, we do not have to live like that. We don't have to live like that because when we come to Christ, we receive an identity. We don't achieve it. We receive an identity and that identity is loved by God. Loved by Jesus. More than we could ever, ever know. But oh, Paul says, I want you to know it. And so Paul uses four dimensions to measure the love of Christ. The breadth The length, the depth, and the height. And I've had conversations with people. But I do believe scripture tells us, at least to some limited degree, how we can measure these dimensions. What is the breadth of God's love? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's the breadth of his love. Every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every class of people, every status, every type of people. How how many people do you love, really love? I mean, maybe some could count it with one hand. Maybe others in the tens or twenties. Maybe somebody here loves a hundred people? I don't know. That God would love eight point one billion people? And all people throughout all of history? What is the breadth of Christ's love? It's beyond our Understanding, but it is the whole world. What's the length of Christ's love? Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5 says that He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and in love, predestined us for adoption. Before this world was created, He chose you, He loved you. You're no accident. And he predestined you, he made a destiny for you to be adopted before this world was ever created, in eternity past. He has loved you and he has loved me from before the world existed. He loves us with an everlasting love. So God will love you forever and ever. So what's the length of Christ's love? It's from forever past to forever future. That's the length. You're not getting out of that. What's the depth of Christ's love? Ephesians chapter 2 says, when we were yet dead in our transgressions, we were dead. We were sinful. We were enemies of Christ, enemies of God. Jesus humbled himself, became a man, became a servant, and even went to the cross and then was buried in the grave the depth of Christ's love ascending to the depths of shame humiliation on the cross hung there nearly naked and then buried that's how deep Christ's love went and what's the height Ephesians 2 also says that God has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. That's the height. We are seated at the, at the hand of God in the heavenlies. And 1 John 3 says, God so, the Father so lavished his love on us that we are to be called the children of God because that is what we are. The height of love to call us his children i think i think a parent's love gives us one of the best examples of god's love we don't love our children because they do this or if they do that we just love them because of who they are oh we may not be pleased with everything they do sometimes they break our hearts amen And sometimes they give us the greatest joys. Sometimes they annoy us. But we love them because of who they are. And that's just a dim reflection of the lavish love the Father has poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. So Christ's love is infinite in all four dimensions, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. In Christ, we have received an identity that is rooted, grounded, and surrounded by the immeasurable love of God. We didn't earn that love. We can't lose that love. Nothing can separate us from that love. Romans chapter 8, our identity is secure in Christ. And Paul is praying that we get that that we are so strengthened by the Holy Spirit, we can carry some of that treasure with us. That the faith unclogs our hearts and arteries and thinking and helps us to see the beauty and the majesty and the power of the love of Christ for us, for me, for you personally. So that we could know the love that surpasses knowledge. That doesn't sound like it even makes sense. The Greek for surpasses means literally to throw beyond. Paul is asking the Spirit of God to give us a knowledge of the love of God that goes beyond ourselves, beyond what we could understand. It's kind of like the peace that passes understanding. A peace and a love that goes beyond our ability to understand it or to know it. But it's not beyond God's ability to reveal it to us. And then he says, so that we, here's the reason why. So that we, the church, might be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, don't read that too quickly. Because he's not just praying that we be filled with God. Okay, he's not just saying, he's saying, but filled with all the fullness of God. If you were to take a small cup down to the ocean, it'd be a very simple matter to fill that cup with ocean. You know what would not be easy? To fill that cup with all the ocean. That's what he's praying, with all the fullness of God, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know how that's possible. I don't even really know what that looks like. But Paul envisions the church as the dearly beloved people of God, collectively reflecting to the world all that God is. All of who God is. So Paul is praying big. And he invites us to pray big as well. He closes his prayer with a doxology, which we read earlier And it continues to challenge our faith and our prayers to be bigger. So read with me verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This prayer is for us. All right, we're within all generations, amen? We didn't slip over the the cliff. We're in all generations. Paul ends his prayer by inviting us to pray big prayers. And he invites us to see how big they are by piling words on top of words. Paul could have said, now to him who is able to do what we ask or think. That would have conveyed. Or he could have said, now to him who is able to do more than we ask or think. That would have conveyed his meaning. He could have said, now him who is able to do abundantly more than we ask or think. But he piles words on top of words and he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He wants us to know how big the Lord's prayer ability is exceedingly, abundantly above and beyond. He doesn't say above and beyond what we could ask or think. He says that we do ask or think. So Paul expects us to ask and think. He expects us to ask and imagine. Prayer. He's calling us to prayer according, and God does this work according to the power within us, the power already residing in us, the Holy Spirit. Pray that we see and experience that power and grow in it more. So we should pray big prayers, church. Sometimes my prayers are wimpy Ah, or distracted. Can anybody relate to that? But we should pray big prayers knowing that as big as we make our prayers, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. Or think, And the purpose is in order to bring glory to his name in the church. In the church. God wants his glory in this world to be shining through the church. God's people. That's why we're closing this series on the church. The church is not an afterthought from God. It's not a part of what God's doing in the earth. The church historically has had its ups and downs. Right now, I think, at least in America, the church is in a down slump. But God ain't done with the church. Amen? He's not giving up on the church. Don't get sour on the church. It's like somebody said about the Ark of Noah. It may be stinky and crowded and smelly, but it's the only thing floating. The church is the only thing floating. It's the only thing God, only thing Jesus is building right now and he will bring glory through his church he will bring glory through his church what is glory we don't use that word that much it it feels far removed from our lives or when we use it we use it to talk about things that often really are not very glorious and yet glory though it may feel far removed from our daily lives as we're doing whatever It is something our hearts long for. God has put a heart, a longing in our hearts for glory. For glory. And I don't mean glory for ourselves. That's what pride wants to do with glory. Pride wants to turn the glory in on ourselves so that we get glory. But that's an empty glory. That's a vain glory. There's no glory in that. That's a distortion of the God-given longing we have for glory. Glory is the opposite of shame. Glory is the opposite of a small life lived for small things. We see glory in different moments in this world and they give us a glimpse of the glory of God. When we see, I just saw the the shafts of sunlight coming around the clouds and then coming to earth and you look at that and you think that's glorious or a glorious sunrise and you think this is just an echo of the glory of the kingdom of God but when we see an act of heroism or selflessness or compassion or nobility we see glory we see glory God's glory God's glory which he he is going to shine through his people that is what everything in history is working towards. That is why he's done and does everything he does, is that he be glorified because there's, it's what the, all of creation longs for. God is eager to display his glory in our lives and in his church. So, church, the biggest thing we can pray for for ourselves and for our church, you want to pray a big prayer? Pray that God is glorified in your life. Pray that God is glorified in our church and that God is glorified in his church. That's a big prayer. God be glorified in my life. When we close our eyes, finally it'll be like, God, I pray that you've brought glory to your name through my life. And the same for our church. So I've been ending the messages with challenges. The challenge for us comes straight from this passage. It's, Pray for ourselves and for one another to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit that we might know, experience the measureless love of Christ. Just breathe it in. Just breathe it in. All oh, the inner turmoil. Am I doing enough? Am I doing it? Does God love me? Does people love me? Is this? Breathe in. Rooted and established in the love of Christ. you didn't achieve that, you received it. Breathe it in, soak it up. Put your roots deep into it. The measureless love of Christ. And then let's pray that God be glorified by others coming to know that love, amen? that those who are far from him come to know him and the love that their identity is searching for and they will never find their identity apart from God. They will never find their true identity apart from the one who created them. So pray that God would glorify his name by leading many to him. That's my encouragement for you this morning. And if you're not a Christian, If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that God loves you. God loves you intensely. He loves you deeper than you could possibly know. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to come and I got to do this and I got to go to church and I got to do this and that. He says, believe in his son because his son came and gave his life for you on the cross in order to pay for your sins so that God could be just and the justifier of your soul believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved the Bible says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so I want to encourage you you can resist them you can say no but I encourage you not to nobody loves you in the whole universe more than Jesus Christ does Come to Him today. Receive Him today. Put your trust in Him today. And He will receive you with open arms and a love that extends from eternity past to eternity future.